This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Two stories really seem to have dominated social media in the last 24 hours. One, of course, is the manhunt for the two suspects in the murders of three people in the northern part of our province. We will have more on that story coming up after the 1030 News with the latest on that, the updates. The other story has to do with something that we talked about almost exactly this time ago yesterday, and that is the Vancouver Public Library being told by the Vancouver Pride Society that they will not be allowed to march as an organization in the upcoming Pride Parade here in Vancouver. It's at the beginning of August, that that weekend there. Uh, So that's generated a lot of discussion. We spoke with um, the executive director of the Pride Society yesterday. Uh, She explained to us why they had made this decision, saying they did not like uh, the the controversial speaker, Megan Murphy, back in January, that the VPL had allowed to book one of their rooms and have her talk at a VPL facility. And so they disagreed with that and said that, hey, they they explained to us the way they allow people to march in the parade, that they start in the fall, they use a matrix where they, anybody who applies to be a part of the parade, a float or walk in the parade, whatever the case is, gets judged on the basis of their policies as an organization. Do they walk the walk or do they just talk the talk? Like, do they, are they actually committed to their policies? Like, what do they do? And they said that because of this decision by the Vancouver Public Library, they felt that the the VPL was not walking the walk, essentially. Uh, and they this year, they said, listen, the employees can still participate, but they, as an organization, no, they were not welcoming the Vancouver Public Library. This ha- has generated so much discussion online. People seem to be pitting it as a library versus, you know, pride society situation. I think it's much more nuanced than that. I do encourage people to go back and listen to that interview that we had with the executive director of the Pride Society yesterday. We also hope to talk to them today about their reaction in the last 24 hours to that. But it is part of our hot question of the day today. If you had a chance to look into this, like, do you agree with the decision by the society to ban the Vancouver Public Library, for marching in the parade. Do you say, yeah, it's their right to do that? Or do you say, no, you know, Vancouver Public Library should be allowed to march. Where do you come down on that? Um, you know, the Pride Society is very careful about who they allow. They told us that. They want to make sure that the people who do march uphold the principles they are putting forward in the parade. It is not a, you know, totally, completely public event. They put on this event. So they're saying they get to decide who participates and who does not participate. So where do you come down on this? Well, you can uh, go cast your vote on our, um, you can call us on our buzz line, 604-331-BUZZ. That's uh, 331-2899. You can email me, as many people have been doing, actually, over the last 24 hours. So keep your thoughts coming on this. That is simi at cknw.com. And as well, go online and cast your vote. It, you find it on Twitter at SimiSarah980 is one location. The other is at CKNW. 24 hours later and the manhunt continues for the two teenage suspects wanted in the deaths of three people in northern BC. So much mystery, right, surrounds the deaths of Lucas Fowler, China Deese, and the third still unidentified man. What we do know at this point is that police say 19-year-old Cam McLeod and 18-year-old Briar Schmigelski are the suspects. And as of this morning, they are being hunted 
in Manitoba. We wanted to get more on this, so we are joined now by Crystal Gumansing, the global news reporter in Winnipeg, who is heading to Gillam, and she joins us now. Crystal, thanks for being here. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. What kind of impact has this had in, in Manitoba? Well, it's sort of the similar situation that you see right across the four provinces in B.C., in Alberta, in Saskatchewan, and now in Manitoba. There's a lot of people asking questions. Of course, when you have a case like this, there's a lot of rumor and hearsay Mm -hmm. and and fear being spread on on social media. And that's sort of where police and officials are right now. They're trying to comb through all of the tips, all of the information, and see what is actually fact, what is fiction, and what can they share with the public. We did just not too long ago get uh, a little bit of an update from the RCMP in Manitoba. That came in the form of a tweet. We've really only had tweets at this point. It's the second one. And authorities are saying that they are, you know, going through all of the tips. They're encouraging people if they see something to report it right away. Again, not to approach these individuals if they do see them, but to uh, call emergency officials. Um, They are setting up a checkpoint, an informational checkpoint is what they're calling it, into the community to try to either talk with more individuals and get some information or, you know, possibly uh, happen upon these two suspects, 19-year-old Cam McLeod and 18-year-old Briar Schmigelski. Now, they've obviously been on the run for a while, and they're trying to figure out, are they actually, in fact, in Gillum? Mm-hmm. That actually hasn't been confirmed, right? It's just reports that people think they have seen them in that community, and that's triggered a, a lot of this um, this discussion yeah. and, and resources being sent uh, up north in Manitoba. How isolated is the area that we're talking about? Like, how accessible is it? Uh, Gillen is accessible. You can fly in, which is what I'm going to be doing uh, a little bit later on this afternoon. Um, not a lot of flights there. It's charter flights or, um, you know, it's a, it's a small uh, plane that goes up. Uh, it's about 11 and a half hours by car. You can get there by train, but it is incredibly isolated. It's in the northern half of Manitoba, kind of, you know, before you get to Churchill, Manitoba with the polar bears. And that's right. also playing into this. It's, it's a small community in terms of population. It is a massive community in terms of you know, geographical space. Yeah, it must be scary, though, for residents as well to have this story suddenly end up in their front doorstep, you know? Well, when we were chatting, and I believe you're going to play a little bit of the interview coming up with yeah. Mayor Dwayne Foreman, uh, he spoke with Global News, and he said it, it's kind of a mixed situation. He really just found out about it, you know, Tuesday afternoon when he was getting some information, trying to share what they can with people. It was a surprise for them. They said, you know, obviously people are freaked out about this. They wanted, you know, take precautions and, and make sure their families are safe. But there's also, you know, they, no one wants to overreact to the situation because there is limited confirmed information. So at this point, everyone's kind of in that odd situation of make sure people are aware, but you don't want to uh, hype things up or, or, you know, terrify people in your community either. But we are talking about two men wanted in connection with, with yeah. three deaths in BC. It is a very serious situation. All right, Crystal, thank you very much. You're welcome. That is Crystal Gomansing, who is a global news reporter in Winnipeg, heading up to Gillum this afternoon. So Gillum is a small town in northern Manitoba. It's right on the Nelson River. Population, according to the last census in 2016, 1,265 people. It's a small town, but it's growing. They've got some big hydroelectric projects that are coming up there. Regardless, it is still the kind of place where people don't lock their doors, where you recognize everyone's car, 
you know who's who. If someone has a new car in that community, you know it, right? You see it. And it's about just as north as you can go in Manitoba by car. Uh, it uh, gets pretty isolated beyond there. So now it is the center of national attention because Manitoba RCMP uh, announced on Twitter today that they had had some reported sightings of the two suspects in the three murders in northern BC. That has led to a very heightened state of uh, you know, state of situation in that particular community. We had a chance just before the show went on the air today to talk to Dwayne Foreman, who is the mayor of Gillum. And here's how that conversation went. Well, Mayor Foreman, thank you for joining us to talk about this today. May I ask, when did you first learn about this whole manhunt situation, this police situation? Uh, I received an update approximately 4.30 yesterday evening. And what were you told at that point? Were the suspects spotted in your community? Uh, no, no verification. They're just suspected to be in the area. Um, we were just given the, the tweet that was given out by the RCMP. Uh, and That's all the information that I was given at the time and pretty much all the information I have up to this date. And w- how did you feel when you heard about that? Did you know about this story? Uh, no, actually, I, I didn't know about this story, but... Uh, Definitely getting uh, a lot of information now at this time. And how does that make you feel for your community? Uh, well, just like anyone else, you, you have uh, apprehension of uh, wanting your children out alone right now. Uh, but uh, it, it hasn't been confirmed by the RCMP that they are actually in the area. Uh, but there definitely is a, a increased uh, police presence within Gillum, Fox Lake, and Sundance area. So uh, the RCMP have a suspicion, so it's going to uh, definitely grow fears within the area. Yeah, can you give us an idea? Like, have you been hearing from members of the community then about this? Uh, uh, just uh, through social media, seeing their fears and, and wanting to lock themselves up in their vehicle, and or not in their vehicle, into their houses and uh, ensuring all their um, vehicles are locked up. Um, it's it's kind of, uh, it's, a, it's a different feeling within the community, for sure. And it's understandable. It's yeah. an unknown for them. I can imagine. So Gillum is a, is a small town. Can you give me any idea? What is Gillum like? What's the surrounding communities like? Uh, Gillum is awesome. It's, uh, if you're a, a person that loves the outdoors, this is uh, the right place to be. It's, uh, we're surrounded by rivers, lakes, trees, and we're as far as you can go north by road. So we're quite isolated. Uh, well, remote, not isolated, but, uh, it's, it's an awesome community. I've lived here for 35 years now and me and my wife plan to live here another 15 so would you say that, like, if somebody new comes to town in Gillum, is that pretty noticeable? Oh, absolutely. Everybody in this town knows uh, everybody. It's it's a pretty small-knit community. We're, we're very tight. Between Gillum and Fox Lake, we're, we're uh, a very tight community. And uh, we'll work together and, and do the best we can to ensure everybody's safety if they are in the area. Yeah, you mentioned Fox Lake. The the Manitoba RCMP mentioned that as well. How far away is that? How big is that community? 
I, I don't know the actual uh, population of Fox Lake. I believe it's in the 250, 300 range, but I, I can't be sure of that. And they're 60 kilometers north of Gillum. Right. So it's all pretty self-contained. You said you've noticed an increased police presence in the area? Oh, definitely. They're, like, even the RCMP, I, I can tell that they're not our uh, normal contingent RCMP members that are driving around the town. It's it's new members, and uh, that's great to see. They, they have a presence here. They have a presence in Fox Lake, and, and uh, they're doing what they can to ensure the security of our town. Right. Must make you a little bit nervous, though. Uh, in some ways, yeah, but uh, I I don't know how to feel, to be honest. I guess didn't expect to have Gillum kind of front page news at this point. Uh, absolutely not. No, I just, uh, no, I didn't expect uh, Gillum to be front page news. Not at all. Well, Mayor Foreman, we thank you for your time today and listen, best of luck. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, Simi. You have a great day. That is Dwayne Foreman. He is the mayor of Gillum, Manitoba. I think you can tell just by listening to him there how uh, kind of shocked he is to find his small community of 1,200 people in national headlines. Well, let's talk about animal encounters, shall we? Two stories that really caught our attention today. One, of course, is out of Yellowstone National Park in the United States. That girl being thrown, little young girl actually, being thrown by the bison that clearly people were getting too close to. She is, she did get taken to hospital. She's recovering from her injuries there. But it's not that dissimilar to a situation uh, that we're seeing in places like Coquitlam where this week a black bear was wandering around in the mall's uh, parking lot. And that led to a pretty bad situation for the bear in this case. It ended up being tranquilized and euthanized. To talk more about these close encounters, we're joined now by our producer, Claire Allen. Hi, Claire. Hello, Simi. Yes, you're right. So a black bear that was wandering outside Coquitlam Centre Mall on Monday evening was tranquilized and then euthanized. So the um, scene started around 8.30 p.m. when uh, one bear crossed the Johnson Street and uh, to the Coquitlam Center parking lot and then made its way to the entrance around H&M and Walmart there. So very surprising. Really close to yeah, people. Yeah, to see yeah. a bear that close to, to a mall, to people. Um, and so, you know, we've been hearing a lot about bears coming into urban areas. And so I wanted to just see, I mean, a mall is a little surprising to me. We usually hear about backyards, maybe a school field or something like that. But right, in, right up close to the stores in a mall is a little surprising. So I spoke with Lucy Cadman. She's an educated uh, education coordinator with the North Shore Black Bear Society about this recent incident. And my first question to her was, how often are we seeing bears leaving their habitat and coming into more urban areas like a mall? It's actually very common, especially when people are leaving out unnatural food sources, those high-calorie food sources such as garbage, bird feeders. Bird feeders have thousands of calories. So that's worth the bear's effort to leave its natural home in the forest and come into the community. That's a very, very high-calorific reward. And they remember where they find food sources too, and they'll keep returning to anywhere that they find a high-calorie food source. They've got incredible memories and over will and year after year to the same fruit tree as it ripens. And their nose is 2,000 times smaller than ours, so they can smell food that's miles away. 
Oh, man, it just seems like we're hearing more and more about this every year, these close encounters in very busy areas like Coquitlam. Yes, and I was really surprised about what Lucy said there is that bears have really good memories. Like You think an elephant never forgets, but apparently a bear never forgets either, and that it will return to the same source uh. of food over and over. So, I mean, that is why we see bears being euthanized, because they are you know, known to be coming into human contact or human populated areas for the food. But I was surprised at that fact. I didn't know that. Um, But what was really depressing about this scenario, Simi, is the amount of people that were getting close to the bear. So So close when you look at these pictures. Yes. So Coquitlam RCMP said that a crowd had gathered around the bear and they were following it and getting in its path in order to video the bear and photograph a bear, a black bear. This, I mean, just a regular, the bear that we have regularly in our wildlife. They're getting in the in the way of the bear to photograph it. <sighs> and at one point, the RCMP said that sixty people were surrounding the bear, trying to get a better look as it climbed into a tree. So the bear was getting quite getting overwhelmed out. and scared, and is trying to get away. And that's when the police had to euthanize it. So I asked Lucy Cadman about the dangers of following a bear for social media purposes. We never encourage getting close to any wild animal to take photographs. We don't physically want to get close to a wild animal. What we do, though, when we, when we see a bear, when we approach that bear for a photograph with our smartphone, we let that bear know, hey, it's okay to be around people. And we let that bear get comfortable around people. And unfortunately, for a bear in British Columbia, if it doesn't run away when people try to scare it away, you know, if the bear is very comfortable around people, that bear will be killed and it'll just be another statistic. So between 100 and 150 bears are being killed every month in British Columbia, and it's to do with the food sources that we're leaving out for them and also how we behave around bears. This is really um, disappointing, right? Because we we put this message out there all the time, but Mm -hmm. when you see the crowd of people that were essentially hounding this poor bear... Yes, as if it was a celebrity. They were trying to get close, trying to see pictures. Exactly. And also sort of getting in its path, which is very Uh. dangerous. And and that's what I spoke to Lucy about, about getting in the path of a bear, getting in in its way is not a good idea. She says that you should always give bears plenty of personal space. Emphasis on plenty. Uh, around 100 meters, you should stay away from the bear. Not always possible, but if you see one in the distance, please don't get close to it. And she says that if you do get close to it, if you want that social media picture, you're really risking your life because you're going to be putting pressure on this bear. And that is very dangerous. But when we get close and we pressure them, they could swat in a swat of a paw from the black bear. A small 50 pound black bear is five times as strong as a grown man. So that could that could harm you. You could be cut with the claws and you could get an infection. So putting yourself close to bears stresses them out, changes how they behave around us eventually and puts you in a position where you could be hurt. She, The way she described that is so, like, I get the point, yeah. how strong that is. I don't right. think people understand that. Yes, they're very strong animals. And if you get in its way, it will react like a wild animal does. And, you know, as we saw with the bison incident in Yellowstone Park, it cannot. It's not a great ending for a lot of people. No. That young girl was flung into the air by a bison, and you have to remember that these are wild animals, and you should keep your distance. It, this pertains to, uh, the, to both situations: what happened with the bear and what happened with the bison. Now, um, as we heard earlier in the interview, something that I was really interested and shocked by is that 150 bears are euthanized every month in British Columbia, according to the North Shore Black Bear Society. That's a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, that's a really high number, and that's something that we can work to decrease. 
So I spoke with Lucy um, about some what she recommends you do if you live in a bear, uh, an area with bear activity. Some of the steps you can take to make sure that you're a friend to the bear without getting too close, and and you know you make sure that they stay safe and you stay safe. Yeah. Do you, like the, all those people who were taking pictures yesterday? They're not friends. That's our, our Monday night. That's great. You got a picture of a bear that is now dead. Not exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You've contributed to a euthanasia of another bear. Yeah. So um, I, I asked her, what are some things that she recommends that people can do if you live in an area that has a lot of bear activity? So she said, number one, secure your garbage and only take it out on the morning of collection. That's something we hear That's over and deal, over yeah. again from municipalities where there are bears around. Please do not leave your garbage out overnight and make sure it's secure when you do take it out. Number two, if you feed the birds, which I know a lot of people love to do, they love to watch the birds from their window they really recommend that you don't do it and leave your bird feeder out for a long time if you really insist on feeding the birds which are legally the only animals that you can feed in bc you should take a plate out of seeds leave it there watch the birds then take the seed the plate in because hanging bird feeders and other sort of contraptions only attract bears because it's a very high calorie uh, source of food for I them. Know. I know it's tough for people to adapt to this kind of stuff, right? Like- uh, unfortunately, I don't think it really should be that tough. I, I think that you don't uh-huh. want a bear on your property. And these are pretty easy steps to follow, in my opinion. Also, if you have fruit trees, make sure that you pick up some of the droppings around um, any sort of fruit that has fallen and uh, make sure that it's well-maintained bush, it's pruned, stuff like that. So, And also, if you see a bear in your house or in your neighborhood, you should remain a safe distance away, 100 meters is what Lucy recommends recommended and use a strong voice to shoo the bear away. You don't want the bear to think that it can be comfortable around humans. So by making yourself big and having a big booming voice and making noise to make sure the bear knows that you're there and it's time for them to skedaddle, that is what's going to keep you safe and bear safe. I guess this is a problem. If you live anywhere in a community, you know, where there's wildlife, you're going to have this problem. Yes. I mean, in your neighborhood, have you ever had like a raccoon problem? Uh, in my old place, we had a rogue raccoon that used to show up all the time. And uh, you should have seen the emails in my strata about, please do not play, try to attract the raccoon. Please don't get close to the raccoon. Please don't. Like, just so many emails where I was like, people, this is a raccoon. Oh, like, people it- don't take it seriously. In my neighborhood, we have a raccoon problem. There's mm-hmm. a particularly aggressive one that has been attacking people's garbage, like, angrily knocking garbage over, right. going into it, doing the whole thing. And so I I now had to do that. I put the garbage in the garage. Close right. the garage door, not in the But the number of people who still haven't done that, and then whatever, I'm like, you surprised every morning when you come out and, and your garbage is all over the everywhere? Alley? Yeah. I think so um, how, do, how do we get the message through to people that we need to be more careful with wildlife? I mean, there's so many educational programs out there, Simi, that I really don't know about what they could be doing better. And we do a segment like this almost every summer. Oh, every, easily. Every spring, yes. every season we're, we yeah. seem to be doing stuff like this. So I really don't know what we could be doing that would get the message across more. And I'm not sure what other societies can do about this. Like the North Shore Black Bear Society, they have a lot of information about bears on their website. And so I think that... If it really is important that all of us do the best that we that we can, but I don't know how we get that message I don't out know there. Either. Uh, and did you watch the Yellowstone video? Oh, I did. Yeah, that's very scary. That's so scary. Like, what were those people even doing? Even trying to walk around? Well, so that what giant I, bison. What I had read is that they were watching the bison from only five to ten feet away. Oh, from come it. on! Are you yeah. supposed to stay fifty meters away from the bison? There, you are supposed to stay fifty meters away, and they were very close. And they were very close for you know quite an extended amount of time for about so the twenty bison minutes. Had patience is what you're saying until it didn't. And when it turned, it is this is very scary. I mean, I have been on. Uh, I've gone to parks where I've seen wild animals, and they say 
things like you have to stay in the car. If you get out of the car, listen, it's it's your funeral. Like you should not be doing this stuff. And people I, do. People do every year. We hear about it, whether it's a Yellowstone Park, whether they're in Africa. People want to get close to the animals and they forget that these are wild animals. That- and you're doing them harm. Exactly. You're doing them harm. You say you want to protect the animals, you're doing them harm. And I'm sure many people have checked out, if you just look at our list of popular stories on social media today, that Yellowstone video is way up there. Oh yeah. It's a very shocking video and a good reminder. Just don't stay get away. close. Stay away. And in Coquitlam, stay away from the bears. Don't take pictures. Even if it wanders into the H&M, please <laughs> stay away from the bears. Claire, thank you. Thanks, Amy. That's our producer, Claire Allen. Hey, remember that big scandal involving the car maker Volkswagen a few years back? Uh, this is when VW admitted to tampering with their diesel cars to make them appear cleaner and more environmentally friendly than they actually were. And this was a widespread deception within the company. They admitted that they broke the law. They pled guilty to this. They paid billions of dollars in fines in the United States and in other countries. And they were for a while there, you know, you weren't sure, like, is VW going to make it through this? What they were doing was they were putting vehicles on the road that were clearly in violation of emissions standards in different countries. So you would think, well, they must have fixed the problem, right? Well, according to EcoJustice, many of those cars remain on the road, even though they were not fixed and they do not now meet emission standards. And EcoJustice is also accusing VW of now quietly starting to resell some of those 2015 model year diesel cars. We wanted to talk more about this today and get more information. Joining us is Tim Gray, Executive Director of Environmental Defense. Tim, thanks very much for being here. Uh, Thanks for having me. I understand there's a lawsuit that has been launched about this. There is, yes. Um, There's two uh, elements to this which you described. One is the initial sale of uh, over 100,000 diesel-powered Volkswagen cars into Canada um, that had this uh, device installed and that was intentionally uh, trying to fool regulators and uh, polluting uh, way beyond what they were supposed to. And then there's a second uh, element, which is what we've launched uh, legal action about uh, just recently. Last Friday we filed... Um, which is uh, selling those cars with only a half fix. So um, I think it's pretty alarming that we have a situation where, uh, as you described, there's been billions of dollars in fines, there's been jail sentences handed out to senior executives in many other Western countries, and the Canadian government has completely failed to uh, lay charges or to prosecute on either the initial violations or uh, the decision by VW to start reselling these cars. Did VW promise, like, did they promise not to sell them? Did they promise to fix them? Like, what were their obligations? Well, there's no obligations, uh, it seems, given that they weren't charged in the first round. Um, And I guess the question for Canadian regulators is, uh, why are you uh, allowing these things to be sold uh, when uh, they clearly violate Canadian law? And uh, or, you know, why didn't you charge them initially? And and then why aren't you doing something when they, on their own, unilaterally decided to start reselling them again? I mean, I can only guess that perhaps they decided to start selling them again because there was no consequences from selling them in the first place. You mentioned a half fix for these cars. So is there? There's no way these cars are going to meet the emission standards that they said they would. No, they're not. And people are still buying them. 
<laughs> yes, they are. But uh, you know, I think it's it's hard to uh, you know turn this into something uh, where the individual res- is responsible for monitoring the tailpipe output of uh, cars produced by major international manufacturers. You know, that's what we have government to do, and and to have inspection and to have consequences for companies that that violate our laws. So other countries uh, took VW to task for this. Is Canada one of the few that did not? Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, we've seen, uh, as you mentioned, uh, major fines in the billions of dollars in the United States and, and jail sentences, very similar in, in European countries, even in Germany, of course, where you know Volkswagen is the world's largest automobile manufacturer, and they're obviously incredibly important to the German economy, but that didn't seem to... Uh, deter the the German government from taking appropriate action and and, uh, bringing uh, this company to justice for for, uh, intentionally uh, deceiving uh, regulators around the world. So what do you hope to achieve with the lawsuit? We uh, hope to uh, uh, have the courts require the Canadian government to enforce Canadian law and uh, to take action both to charge Volkswagen with the initial crime of, of uh, selling these cars into Canada, and then the uh, decision to start reselling them again. All right. So this, it, it clearly is a bit like tricky for Canada here too, right? So do you think people know that though? Like Tim, do people realize that they're buying these vehicles or driving these vehicles that aren't meeting those emission standards, or do they think they're buying like a clean burning diesel? Well, this, <laughs> that, I mean, that turns out to be the great irony. I mean, a lot of the advertising that was being done by Volkswagen talked about clean diesel, and that turned out to be just a complete hoax, a marketing scam that was actually covering up uh, very dirty vehicles. So um, I'm hoping that people have a better sense of that uh, and that there, you know, there isn't a, a magic clean diesel that's available for sale. Um, and you know, we obviously need to move away from fossil fuel-powered cars overall uh, in the long term, but... We definitely don't want to be, uh, as individuals, I don't think any of us want to be uh, lied to about the cars that we're buying and, and uh, you know, be told that they're clean when they're not. Was there ever a rationale given in Canada for why the government here didn't go after VW for this? No, not a thing. And, you know, that's what we're trying to secure is uh, some kind of clarity around why Canada fails to act. So I guess, like, what is the point of having emission standards then if we don't enforce them? Exactly. Do we, do you think, have enforceable standards? Yes, they're totally enforceable. I mean, the the, the overall liability uh, based on the number of offenses that uh, Volkswagen committed in this country has been estimated at about $105 billion. So uh, clearly, if uh, the government did lay charges, it gives them broad uh, range to negotiate some kind of compliance agreement and a fine structure with VW if uh, they chose to do so. Uh, and so far they have uh, chosen not to, and we really want to find out why. Do you think for the most part, Tim, though, when you talk about the automotive industry, is the industry getting better? Like, are they getting the message about what it is that consumers are looking for? Well, I think that uh, the regulatory regime around the world has forced uh, cars to become more and more efficient. I mean, you've seen that occur. Um, in most cases, and I think the VW case is you know, a particularly egregious example, but in most cases you see strong resistance from the major manufacturers to uh, increasing stringency of emission standards. They, they, they tend to lobby hard against those. 
Um, but it makes a huge difference, both in the amount of fossil fuels that we're consuming, but also the price that people have to pay as consumers for, for buying fuel and also in the quality of our air. So there's huge, huge economic, social, and environmental benefits of having uh, better fuel standards. And I think once governments act and they put these in place, that having companies that are intentionally lying, uh, inventing software and hardware to defeat the monitoring systems of government, that uh, governments have to come down hard on that or the message you're sending uh, to manufacturers is, uh, you know, uh, go ahead. Even if we regulate, uh, nothing will happen if you cheat. And that is not something you want to have in a, in a, um, a society that's meant to be ruled by law. It's so ironic, though, isn't it? Ironic and bizarre that a, a company would acknowledge that, yeah, this is going to be a great selling point to have these vehicles that are more clean burning and yet not actually make them as clean, knowing that that's going to be what people want to buy, right? And yet not actually producing that product. Yeah, I mean, they know that they had to produce a cleaner product because of the uh, uh, regulations that have been passed by uh, governments in Europe, in Europe and here in North America. Um, and they just chose to uh, design software and hardware that would actually lie to the regulator instead of actually investing in the technology to make their cars compliant. Uh, that was a, a business choice that they made, and um, you know they really should pay the the price for making that decision. And and they have in other places, but uh, Canada has not. And of course, we're leaving uh, huge amounts of money on the table here. We're talking billions of dollars in potential fines that could be used to do things like build a, a Canada-wide um, electric vehicle charging network, uh, build uh, electric vehicle charging systems within our cities to help advance. The, uh, the progress towards uh, electrifying our transportation pl- fleet. There's many other environmental things we could do with billions of dollars. And uh, it's all just sitting there on the table because uh, our government hasn't acted. So what happens next then with the lawsuit? Well, we uh, work our way to court, uh, try and get uh, a date and uh, try and go through uh, the process of uh, forcing our uh, government to uh, actually enforce our laws. And do you know how many cars that we were talking about here, Tim? Like, how many of these were actually sold and are on the road? Yeah, there's a, it's a lot in, in Canada, um, about 105,000. And uh, it's interesting because Canadians were uh, very vigorous adopters of diesel uh, cars uh, on a per capita basis, much more accepting and enthusiastic about them than Americans were. So, uh, you know, we on a proportional basis, we have many more cars uh, sold here, which means that, uh, you know, the, the overall liability for this cheating is, is actually proportionally much higher here if the Canadian government chose to enforce the law. All right, Tim, thank you very much for your with us. That's Tim Gray, the Executive Director of Environmental Defense, one of the groups launching a lawsuit uh, against the federal government and the Climate Change Minister, Catherine McKenna, I want to take them to court, uh, for failing to essentially enforce the law and failing to punish the giant automaker Volkswagen. We've got some developments to update you on when it comes to the manhunt for the two suspects that RCMP police are looking for uh, in connection with the three murders in northern BC over the last 10 days. Let's go directly right now to Brittany Greenslade, who's a global news reporter in Winnipeg and is standing by. Brittany, thanks for being with us. Yeah, no problem. Good afternoon. I understand you're hearing some updates on this. Yes, we have just uh, moments ago been told by RCMP that they're going to be doing an update within uh, about an hour from now, 3 o'clock local time here. They haven't said what 
exactly that update is going to include. But we do know that they sent extra resources from Manitoba RCMP to Gillum this morning, and they've actually set up roadblocks in the area because there's only one roadway in and out of the town there. Um, we know that police patrol has been underway there since yesterday, and that's when there had been believed to be sightings. Now, those hadn't been confirmed by RCMP, but there was a gas station attendant there who believed that um, she had spotted the suspects there um, earlier this week. And, you know, RCMP is still saying they want people to be vigilant and alert. Um, these two men, Cam McLeod and Briar Schmigelski, are both considered dangerous and should not be approached. Now, this area is all focused really on Gillum and Fox Lake Cree Nation. We're talking about an area about 760 kilometers northeast of Winnipeg. And we do know that earlier this week, that RAV4, gray RAV4 that the two were supposed to have been driving had been spotted in Saskatchewan. Well, yesterday, um, it had been found, a car similar had been found torched and burned in Gillum. We have yet to receive confirmation from the chief up there or from RCMP whether or not that was confirmed to be the same car. Yeah, I was wondering about that. So what have the RCMP confirmed about this and what are we just able to kind of glean from the way they're behaving? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the last actual confirmed sighting we had was in Saskatchewan that RCMP are confirming. So they are believed to be in Gillum because there was a possible sighting there and also because of this car that we haven't been told whether or not it's associated, but it does look very similar to that other vehicle. Um, again, RCMP not confirming that yet, but people having possible sightings. And that's something that we have to be really careful when it comes to something like this. There yeah. was actually one that popped up in Yorkton, Saskatchewan, a possible sighting there from 10, 12 this morning, RCMP saying that was not related, but some information getting out and people, you know, on high alert right now, looking for those and and calling in, which is what RCMP are are saying. If you think you see them, call 911. Yeah, do you think that's the case then, Brittany? Is everybody in small communities, do you think, in the Prairie Province is just going to on alert? This is now national news. Yeah, and that's the thing that we hear too, is a lot of these communities, once you get up north, um, everybody knows everybody. So if you see somebody out of the ordinary, your red flags go up, right? And especially in a situation like this where there's possibilities of the sightings, you know that they have, in the past few days, been traveling throughout the northern communities, making their way east. You know, people say, oh, that might look like them. So we have to really be careful of that confirmation. Like we said, that's what happened in Yorkton. It ended up not being the suspects. Um, and we are waiting for that update uh, from police within the hour. Right. What is the distance w- uh, from Winnipeg to Gillum? I know a lot of attention is focused on Gillum. We spoke to the mayor earlier, but how far away is that? We're talking hours. This is a two and a half hour flight. It's about 800 kilometers northeast of the city. Um, it's not close. This is, you know, a town of 1,200 people. It's one of the northernmost towns that's actually accessible by year-round road. Um, and that was one of the things here where people said, why Gillum, right? It's kind of yeah. the end of the line. You kind of get stuck. Um, limited transportation routes. So that one road in and out. There is a small airport. There's also a small ferry. But again, everybody knows everybody in these communities. So somebody would stick out. But also really challenging terrain. This is really heavy backcountry, bushy areas that even the mayor there has said people wouldn't go hiking in. Um, also serves as a great place to hide out. Ah, okay, interesting. So uh, once again, Brittany, let's update people. You do expect some information from the RCMP. 
Yes, 3 o'clock local time here. So about an hour from now, we will have an update from the RCMP here in Winnipeg. And we do have a crew on the way to Gillum right now. All right. Thank you very much for that, Brittany. Thanks so much. That's Brittany Greenslade, uh, Global News reporter in Winnipeg with the update. The uh, news coming out of Winnipeg that RCMP in Manitoba will be holding a press conference about an hour from now. It's one o'clock our time, right? So at one o'clock our time, we hope to hear from the RCMP in Manitoba. They're holding a press conference, a media update on the manhunt that is underway for the two suspects in the killing of three people in northern BC. Two of the victims we have heard about, that is Lucas Fowler, who's from Australia and China Deese, who is American. But the third victim has remained unidentified. This is the person whose body was found about two kilometers away from the burned out vehicle that is believed to have belonged uh, to the two suspects in this case. Well, Global News reporter Sarah McDonald is reporting right now that sources have told uh, Global BC that investigators have tentatively identified the third deceased victim. Uh, and with that information will be forthcoming. Investigators now working to notify next of kin and confirm that identity. Uh, so there will be more to come on that. We know right now there is a manhunt going on. And that is why we're going to be talking about Manitoba coming up uh, in our one o'clock hour. But what's involved in all this? How do you get police forces to uh, coordinate so quickly in a situation like this? We thought we'd turn to somebody who knows all too well what these kinds of situations are are like. Joining us now is Jim Sessford, the former former chief of Delta Police. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for having me on. Have you been following along on this story? I have been, yes. yes. What do you think of when you hear this? Like, what happens behind the scenes? What gets ramped up? Well, it's it's a major investigation. Uh, It's very thorough, very complex. And, And I think that the number one thing for the police is you know, they've got all these crime scenes to investigate and and leads to follow up. But we have two suspects who are obviously armed and dangerous. And the, the police will no doubt be very concerned about public safety right now. And it's hard to, to, it's hard to predict what these two suspects might do to um, evade the police. Yeah, are some cases just higher pressure than other ones? Like this one just seems like you've got the entire country waiting to see what happens. Well, you know, Simi, any time there's it's, it's something like this homicide investigation and there's people involved and there's victims, you know, it's hard on the police. It's very stressful. And, you know, they they try to do whatever they can to uh, to solve the situation, particularly when, of course, the suspects are at large. So, uh, but this is... This is a you know a province to province investigation. It's starting to go east now, and so it's really hard to predict what you're doing and and where the suspects are going, and and so it makes it very very much more stressful. I guess would be the word. Right, and I guess is it hard to also manage a kind of public concern here too? Because as we've been hearing, uh, clearly people in small towns on the prairies are worried about this, and they think that they've spotted this. You know, this pair. They think they spotted them in Yorkton. It wasn't them. Uh, so there's obviously a lot of public concern out there as well. Oh, for sure, no question. And so it's really, really important that the police communicate. And you know, it's a really, it's a. It's a double-edged sword here for the police and that if they give too much information now, they'll yeah. be criticized down the road uh, when the matters go to court uh, because they, they made statements uh, 
uh, while they while the matter was still being investigated. On the other hand, it's really important to get as much information out to the public as they can. We've got to keep the public safe, and that's safe. That's got to be a priority, and so we've got to let them know everything that that uh, that we can uh, to keep them informed and to make sure they're ever vigilant and and they're uh, taking every precaution for themselves. Does the international influence here, uh, Jim, do you think change anything? I mean, you've got these were tourists who were killed. It's very high profile. Do you think that puts added pressure? Well, I think it will because it puts another angle to the investigation. And so you're dealing with police in other countries, the United States, Australia. So there's, you know, it just puts more and more pressure and there's more questions um, that will be asked and more questions that need to be answered by the police here. So the investigative team will be very, very busy right now. And, and Jimmy, what the, we have... We, we train and train and train for these yeah. types of situations. So they, they, they'll implement a major case management uh, model, and they'll have all kinds of all people assigned to various aspects of the investigation. And, um, and one of the big pieces right now will be the tactical team and the search team that are looking for these suspects. What is communication like between police forces across the country, whether they're RCMP or a, a city or municipal police force? What's that communication like? It's outstanding. It's outstanding. And I know any time I've had an investigation, either with Edmonton or with, with Delta, uh, we had police forces from right across Canada calling and saying, what can we do? How can we help? Uh, do you need people? Whatever it was. And, and it is, so the communication is outstanding. And there's no question in my mind that police from one end of this country to the other are well aware of what's going on and they're following the movements of uh, at least the best information they've got relative to these two suspects. And, and you can bet that the, our United States counterparts are very interested too in what's going on because there's nothing to prevent these prevent these people from going across the border as well. That's so. I, I was wondering about that because I thought, well, they wouldn't try to cross the border, right? Because, I mean, come on, their picture must be all over the place. But uh, is it still possible that they could try to do that, do you think? No, I would think that they're, they're trying to evade the police. They're looking for ways to to get away, obviously, and perhaps getting into the United States might prevent provide them the cover they, they need to, to make their getaway. So I think anything is possible with these people. And, you know, Sammy, the one thing I need to say is what, what that really concerns me is it would appear from what I can see that they've perhaps tried to take the vehicle of, of um, perhaps one of the victims. And my concern would be that they stop somebody on the highway yeah. somewhere or they go into a house in some community and they... Um, you know, they, they uh, commit another crime and that they steal like another Like desperation, vehicle. right? If they know they're the subject of this manhunt. Exactly. And there's no question, I'm sure, that they they know they're subjects of a, of a, of a manhunt and they'll be doing whatever they can to evade the police, and which makes it extremely dangerous right now. Certainly sounds like it. Uh, Jim, thanks so much for your time. No problem, Simi. Thanks. And uh, to the police departments that are working out there, uh, you know, I'm, I wish them every success in resolving this safely. Oh, we certainly do. Thank you for that. Bye-bye. That's Jim Sessford, our former chief former chief of Delta Police, weighing in on this. Two suspects, Cam McLeod, Briar uh, Schmigelski. 
has stretched right across Canada, the focus now being in northern Manitoba, where we heard the police confirm about half an hour ago that they have found and located the suspect vehicle that they believed these two young men were driving. That is the 2011 Toyota gray RAV4. Uh, They found it burned out near Gillum, Manitoba, which is now the focus of a lot of their attention. But of course, still back here in BC, we're dealing with the crime scenes of the three homicides that started this whole situation. And as well, Port Alberni, where the families of these two men reside and where that community is also kind of reeling from what is going on right now, what's turned into this huge international story. So Kylie Stanton is our global news reporter who was in Port Alberni today. We thought we would check in with her and see how things are going there. Kylie, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jimmy. Happy to happy to be here. What has the situation been like in Port, Al- Port Alberni? Is this something that everybody seems to be talking about? It definitely is. Yeah. I mean, um, we actually spoke to the mayor this morning and she was, you know, speaking on behalf of the residents of the city. And she she said it's been really emotional for a lot of people. You know, these two boys, part of the town, they grew up here. um, And a a few days ago, they were considered missing. And then all of a sudden yesterday, the tables turned with that uh, press conference with the RCMP and uh, they became suspects in these three murders. So a lot of people just uh, grappling with that and uh, some really, really tough emotions. Um, we, uh, she hasn't spoken with the families directly. She said out of respect for their privacy, and oh, we have tried to make contact with the families ourselves. But uh, at this point, they are not willing to talk to media. In fact, um, Cam McLeod's father has posted some no trespassing signs outside of his home, which is located near Sprout Lake. So it's a, a little ways outside of Port Alberni. Um, he did release a statement saying, you know, I'm sitting at home worrying about my son. So at that, at this point, yes, that's, uh, that's where it stands. And, uh, a lot of people just uh, trying to yeah. come to grips with this. What do we know about these two and like, were they active? Did they go to high school there? Like, what do we know about them? Well, we, we do believe they grew up here and they, they've known each other for quite some time. Um, interestingly, we spoke with a former classmate of Briars, um, back in grade seven she only attended one year of school with him it was middle school at the time they no longer have middle school here her name was uh, madison hempstead now she told us uh, a quite disturbing story and it may be graphic for some of your listeners that's just a warning um she told us details of how briar would tell her about how he planned to kill her and then kill himself and i asked her to go into those details she said that he would cut off her head put a gun in his mouth he had an obsession with guns, was very interested with guns, didn't know if he actually owned any, but um, it was quite disturbing for her mm-hmm. to recall all of these things and actually listen to this. And uh, she said, you know, I was 13 at the time. I thought he was just trying to make friends. He was kind of an outcast, a little bit of a weird guy. Um, we thought he was trying to be funny, so we never even said anything. But when we learned he was a suspect, all of these memories of these conversations came flooding back and... Uh, definitely left her quite rattled. I can imagine so, yeah, from that description. Now, Port Alberni is a pretty small town, so, I mean, a lot of people must have have known these two. Yeah, it it seems like that, but they were also quite uh, reclusive, I I would say. I mean, they didn't have a lot of friends, it sounds like. They went to, um, uh, from what we understand, it's not confirmed, but we believe they went to an alternative school. Um, It's called their... alternative programs at VAST. So they didn't go to Alberni District Secondary School, where most students would attend. Right. Um, so, uh, and 
so we believe they, you know, didn't have a huge circle of friends. They lived sort of on the outskirts. At least Cam's father lives quite far out of town. Um, so yeah, I, I believe that the two of them together were were good friends and uh, and grew up grew up through the school system um, as buddies. But as far as a, a bigger circle, uh, we're not seeing that at this point. Interesting. All right. Well, Kylie, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, no worries. Thanks so much. Appreciate that. That is Kylie Stanton, our global news reporter in Port Alberni. We also have uh, Sarah McDonald up in Dees Lake. We've got Nadia Stewart, who is in Fort Nelson. Uh, we've got reporters from Global Manitoba also covering the story uh, in Gillam Lake as well. So there's a lot more coverage to come on this. Keep it tuned in right here for the very latest. And as well, uh, you'll hear the wrap up of the day's events and any latest developments on the news hour tonight at 6.